As uh, Greg said, we are in the middle of a series uh, entitled The Story of God. And really what we're trying to do is to study um, how God has revealed himself throughout history um, as a better way to understand his character, to look at what we can know, to look at what we can't know, quite frankly. And after going back to my first message and listening to uh, Lance's podcast last week, all the way from Nicaragua, um, I'm pretty confused. I, I, I don't know what's going on, really. It feels like a pretty chaotic, like if all we had to go on was the moment in time that we were, we were looking at this little slice, um, it feels uh, very out of control, when it comes to God, and um, I think what is true is that, you know, with the fall of man, it created a chasm that, that exists between us and God, and it feels like God is really wanting to resolve it, but I, we don't quite know how yet. And so then you have this span of a few hundred years where God goes dark on his people. He is silent, and the descendants of Abraham, these so-called chosen people, are we find them now a conquered people who are now the slaves to Egypt who, who conquered them. And um, through a long series of events that changed the course of his life, we now find that Moses is a shepherd out in the middle of Nowheresville. And so in Exodus chapter 3, this is kind of what happens when we come on the scene and all of a sudden as Moses is shepherding, he looks up on Mount Horeb and there is this huge fire. And it's really different. And so we're going to spend our morning in Exodus chapter 3. In verse 1 it says, Now Moses led the flock to the far side of, of the wilderness. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of the fire within this bush. And Moses saw that even though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses is like, hmm, I wonder what's going on. This bush is continuing to burn, and it's burning and burning and won't burn up. And so evidently we get this impression that this flame up on the side of the mountain is big enough and unique enough that it peaks Moses' curiosity enough that he decides to go up and follow this fire, and see what's up. And so in verse 4, it says he makes his way up toward this bush on the side of the mountain, and when, this, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Well, that'll freak you out. And Moses says, well, here I am. And so in this moment, God is about to reveal Himself in a way that we have not known before this moment. We're about to be introduced to the God that has always been, who always is, and always will be with you. So, when I um, say the word God, what is that conjure up in your head? What kind of image do you get? What do you think about when I say God? 
Here's an interesting idea. When I say God and you say God, are we talking about the same thing? Do we have the same image, the same belief? Who is the God that you believe in? Do you know? As we've talked about many times, we live in what's called a pluralistic society, meaning that the ideas and beliefs in our country run the full gamut. And so when the polls in our country state that 97.5% of Americans believe in God, you go, that's great. But what does that really mean? Because I can tell you that not 97.5% of the people in America believe the God that I believe in. So, where's the disconnect? Where's the difference? Who is it that everybody's believing in? When you cry out to God in the most desperate hours of your life, Who is it that you really want to connect with? Several thousand years after Exodus chapter 3, we find ourselves in the New Testament for a moment. And the Apostle Paul finds himself in the ancient city of Athens, which is kind of like the New York City of that day. It was the cultural hub of that world. And it, too, was a pluralistic society because... There were just a ton of religions that existed in this one city. And as the Apostle Paul is walking around the city for the first time, he says that he sees that the city is full of idols. They had an idol for everything imaginable. They had an idol that represented the god of the sun. And they had one for the god of the earth. They had a god of the harvest. They had an idol for the goddess of fertility. You name it, they had a god for it. In fact, just to make sure they had all their bases covered, they even had an idol with the inscription to an unknown God, just in case they had forgotten about somebody. And so Paul realizes that these are very religious people. They're spiritual. You ever call yourself, I'm a spiritual person? They believed in the idea of God, but they didn't really understand who he is. They were searching for God, but yet they didn't know how to find him. And so the Apostle Paul stands up on Mars Hill and he says, let me introduce you to the God that you've been looking for. A few thousand years earlier, Moses in Exodus chapter 3 is kind of in the same bucket. He's been raised in an Egyptian household that's full of idols, full of other gods and religions. And he's hiding out in the wilderness because he realizes that he's a Hebrew and he protected a brother. And so he killed a man. And Pharaoh, who raised him, was now like ready to kill him. And you know that at his core, Moses believes in God, but he has no idea who God really is until this moment when Moses begins to follow this fire up the side of a mountain. And the God who was unknown to him at the time appears to him in the form of this burning bush. 
And as Moses approaches, God says, Hope, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. For this is a place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So right off the bat, God says, I know you don't know who I am, but let me introduce myself. I am Elohim. Now you may remember from a couple weeks ago, I used that word. It's a Hebrew word that is written in the original Hebrew text. And it means God. It's just kind of a generic term for God as a deity. And so by way of introduction, Moses, God says, I am the Elohim of your father. I am the Elohim of Abraham. I am the Elohim of Jacob, the all-powerful God of your people, Moses. He's saying, I'm the God that you've been looking for all these years. So take your shoes off out of respect because you found me. And you're standing on the holy ground of the great Elohim. And in chapter 3, verse 6, it says that this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look upon God. So Moses begins to get this idea that this is a real deal. Like he's standing here talking to a burning bush, and that's not normal. He doesn't take it lightly, and somehow he instinctively knows that he can't look upon God or he may die. And it goes on in verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. And so I have come down to rescue them. Isn't that interesting? After several hundred years of silence, God says, I am coming down to rescue them. And so now, Moses, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So I am sure that not all of us grew up in Sunday school class, but what I am sure of that at least most of us have seen the movie. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of ins and outs on the life of Moses. But I'm going to stick right here on the story of God and look at this from his perspective. And so God says, all due respect, Moses, it doesn't really matter much who you are in this situation. And in verse 12, God says, I will be with you. I'll be with you. Now, I am no linguist, all right? And for those of you who have been with me in Nicaragua and heard me speak my very best Spanglish, you know I'm no linguist. I might eke out some great Irish phrases over Guinness, but maybe that's it. But we're going to spend the rest of our time in Hebrew. And the reason for that is because the Old Testament was originally written in the Hebrew language, and there are words and phrases that don't translate into the English as well. And so by looking at the Hebrew, I think we get a better understanding of who God is. And so in this moment where God says, I will be with you, that is the word ayah. And ayah means I am, I am with you and I will always be with you. 
So in other words, God says, Moses, don't worry about it. I am with you and I will be with you when you go to see Pharaoh, when you stand before him. In fact, God says, this will be a sign to you that, is, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, so it's a foregone conclusion in God's mind that Moses is going to do this. When you, after you have done this thing, and you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, it just so happens they're standing on Mount Horeb, which happens to be the place that after Moses does indeed lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, is the place where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And I find it interesting that God almost is still trying to define himself with Moses, and he wants to make it very clear by prophesying that the God you will be worshiping on this mountain in the future is the same God you are speaking to right now. And you can tell that Moses is still trying to wrap his head around this whole thing. I mean, again, he's talking to a bush, and I think he's trying to figure out like who it is that he's really speaking with. And so Moses said to God, Well, God... Suppose I do this, and I go to the Israelites, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? What do I say? What do I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. In the Hebrew, that phrase is the same phrase that was used earlier when God says, I will be with you. It's ayah. In this particular case, it's ayah, aser, ayah, which is I am who I am. So you tell them, I am sent me to you. So when he says, I am, what he is saying is that I am the God who has always been. I am the God that is. I am the God that always will be. I am the beginning and the end and everything in the middle. Now, when he says this, that's not his name. God still hasn't answered the question that Moses has asked him. What's your name? Who should I tell them? God still hasn't given his name. He wants to be very clear who he is before he gives up his name. God wants to make sure that when it comes time to drop his name, that Moses understands the power behind it. Have you ever thought about If you ever change your name, what did you change it to? What name you would take? Would you want it to be a strong name? Beautiful name? Something more artistic? Whatever it is, we all want our name to mean something. And I believe that's exactly what's going on here. I think Moses, just maybe, I make stuff up, right? Moses just maybe caught God flat-footed, and God doesn't have a name. 
He's not quite sure what to say, maybe. And so God begins to build a name out of all the elements of what is the most important thing that God wants us to know about Him because He wants His name to mean something. And what is it that God wants us to know? God wants us to know that He is the one true God and that He will always be with you. And so God says this. Here's what you're to say. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. Here it is. God finally drops his name. For the first time, right here, we find out the name of God. Yahweh. If Elohim is kind of this general description of a God of deity, much like the word human is a description of who we are in our species, Yahweh is a proper name, like Darren is my name. God says, you want to know my name? It's Yahweh. 4,000 times in the Old Testament, Yahweh appears. God's proper name is always translated in our English Bibles as this. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Every time we see the word Lord capitalized in the Hebrew, that word is Yahweh, and it's been translated. And so every time you see that word in all caps in your Bible, every time you hear the word Yahweh, you should think this is the proper name of God. And so God goes on and he says, Yahweh, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, let me just clarify something because if you were here when I spoke a couple weeks ago, you know that this is not the first time that we see the name Yahweh in the Bible. We caught it back in Genesis, right? In the first couple chapters it shows up. And so you go, well, how is this the first time that God's dropping his name if we're reading about it in Genesis? If you believe, as tradition holds, that Moses is the author of Genesis, as we do, then you can understand that this is the true first encounter in history where God has revealed his name as Yahweh because this is the first time that Moses is hearing this name. And so he retroactively, when he writes Genesis later on in his life, he has this knowledge that this is the name of God and he writes about that in the book of Genesis. Now, you don't have to be a linguist, thank goodness, to see the similarities between Ayah and Yahweh. God, it really appears, is building for himself a name as he's speaking to Moses And he creates this foundation upon the word ayah, which is the word for I am and will always be 
with you. So here's the interesting thing that happens is there's this shift that occurs here because when God refers to himself, he calls himself Ayeh, and which means I am with you, the God who will always be with you. But when, you, when God wants you to call him by name, he wants you to call him Yahweh, which means the God who is always with you, the God who is the I am. So this plays out in a very, very real way for the Israelites when we skip forward to Moses actually leading the Israelites out of Egypt and we see Yahweh who is literally always with them. He never leaves their side. Exodus chapter 13 says, By day the Lord, Yahweh, went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. And so they could travel by day or by night. But neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night ever left its place in front of his people. God began to be present in the lives of the people in the form of this pillar of cloud leading them by day and a pillar of fire leading them at night. And the Israelites lived in this constant awareness that they were in the presence of God. Because they could see evidence of that in their midst because the presence of God never, ever left the side of his people. You see, Elohim, the God of the universe, is no longer a mystery. He is now known as Yahweh. And from this point forward, he begins to lay down the law, both literally and figuratively. Right? Because in Deuteronomy 5, God ironically brings Moses back to Mount Horeb. This is the moment that God predicted that he would be standing in front of God again on this mountain. This is the place where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And do you know what the very first commandment was? In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6, it says, I am the Lord, Yahweh. Your God, Elohim, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Just in case you forgot, I am the one who saved your rear ends from slavery. And then he goes into the very first commandment in verse 7, which says this. You shall have no other gods, Elohim, before me. We translate that to be small g in the English translation, because it means lesser gods. And in this context, there is no God like Yahweh, who is the great I am, the creator and sustainer of all things. But isn't that interesting? Elohim is used here as God. Here's what I think. I think this has a very clear message and relevancy for all of us today who live in a pluralistic society. Because we've lost this idea of who God really is. When we say the word God, what are you referring to? I think we've so diluted the word God and made it so ambiguous that there's a lot of times that we don't even know what that means to ourselves. 
we don't even really know what it is that we truly believe in. It's this generic catch-all for whoever the heck is up there, whatever Elohim is listening. It's just God. Much like the situation that the Apostle Paul found himself in in Athens, when he sees this idol inscribed to an unknown God, is God really known to you? Do you know the God, Elohim, generic? Or when you cry out for God, are you crying to Yahweh? Have we created excuses in our head that say, you know what, there's something inside of me where I want to be politically correct. I want to be perceived as being open-minded. I don't want to be some right-wing legalistic Christian who's perceived as being a little crazy. And so we begin to dilute the word God, when we say things like, all roads lead to the same place eventually. At the end of the day, we all believe the same things, right? We're all going to end up in the same place in the end. And we make that word God ambiguous and diluted. But I have to be honest with you, according to the Bible, Yahweh, he takes issue with that. And he doesn't much like it when we put other gods before him. When we dilute who God is. You see, I believe we can disagree with people who have difference of opinions. I believe we can disagree with people who have different faiths without being haters. I've had some extraordinarily interesting and complex conversations with Jews and atheists and Muslims and Hindus who all, by the way, are very close friends of mine because I'm not out there looking for a fight and I'm not out there looking to be right. And so we can be accepted without compromising what it is that we believe in. We can have honest conversations and disagree and it be okay. We don't have to be compromising our faith in order to be perceived as open-minded I think that if you're to look at the alternatives that a Muslim in Morocco is pretty definitive about their faith. And if you were to ask my friend who, who is Hindu, who is the creator, they're very specific. It's not Yahweh. And so when we say the word God, we have a lot of different opinions. But it doesn't mean that 
that I don't stand firm in my faith. It doesn't mean that I don't hold true to what it is that I believe in. And we think that if I stand firm and I say that in my mind this is what I believe, that it makes other people wrong or that we're judging them. And it's not the case. Because I can say after all those conversations, I'm still friends with all those people. But as for me and my house, we will serve capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The one who is known to me is Yahweh. The Apostle Paul is walking around in Athens and he ends up standing in front of kind of the think tank of Athens, which are all the great minds and philosophers. And he stands up in front of them and he starts to speak after looking. He says, for I walked around and I looked carefully at all the objects of worship. I even found this altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you don't know the very thing you worship. You don't know the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to make known to you. The God, the Elohim, who made the world and everything in it, is the Lord, is Yahweh. He is the one of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. He is the one and only God who gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God did this so mankind would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us because he is the ayah. He is the I am. So Paul says, look, it's not enough to be a spiritual person. We all like to think of ourselves as spiritually spiritual people. Right? I've said it myself. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I have spiritual ideas, but I don't go crazy. It's not enough to just believe in a generic Elohim. That there will come a point when we will have to give an account for our lives, and on that day, we're going to stand before only one Elohim. And at the end of the day, His name, the Bible makes it very clear, is Yahweh. He is the one true God. So I think here's the question. Can we begin to cut the ambiguity out of our lives and have great clarity about what it is that we really believe and not feel like we have to back down or shrink back because we're not in the majority? Can we begin to change our worldview and see that every step that we take, we are walking on holy ground? Because God really is everywhere, and there's no longer any separation between the sacred and the secular, because every day I walk in the sacred presence of a God who is I am, who is closer than I could even know. A great philosopher and theologian was once asked in an interview, he said, what is the greatest spiritual need in the lives of church people today? And he says this, 
to discover the true identity of God. He said, For if believers truly understood the personality and nature of God, it would revolutionize their lives. I have to tell you that that rings true in my own life. There are times when I, for whatever reason, my soul is like waging war on God. And I have no idea why. There are times when I just want to reject him. And for what? There's times when I will, I'll get lazy and complacent and I move Yahweh to the back burner of my life. But in the moments when I remember, in the moments when I get it, in the moments when I have great clarity about who I am and who God is and what I believe, it changes everything for me. Everything. And that's why looking at how God has revealed himself throughout history is so important to really understand the character of the God that we believe in. And so just in case you're wondering, the unknown God that you've been crying out to all these years in the most desperate moments of your life, that God is the Ayah, the great I Am. The time when you threw up that prayer in a moment of desperation, where you didn't know where else to turn, that was the God who will always be with you, that heard that prayer and stayed by your side. When you stood there and you saw that sunset and you felt something that you knew was deeper and beyond anything you could ever imagine, that was the great I am. When we leave this earth, there will not be some generic Elohim that will be there to greet us. There will not be a deluded God who will be standing there on the other side. Because in that moment, when we walk out of this world and into the next, we will find we will find ourselves standing in front of Yahweh, the God who is always and always will be with us. And he will be the one who will escort us into eternity. Because it is only he, it is only Yahweh who will always be.